I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, June 21st, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So, Peak Palace, in case your parents or Jay needed any more proof that being an online personality is definitely a real job, Felix Lengel, a Canadian known as XQC, is signing a contract with streaming platform Kick that could be worth up to around $130 million. Now, if that already seems like a lot of money to you, just wait. The two-year deal is about as large as the contract extension signed by the Los Angeles Lakers' LeBron James last year. Jay, the only question I'm asking is, why are we streaming the Peak Daily? I think we should be. We want, want me to press stream right now? Press stream on Kick, apparently. Oh, we gotta Kick. do Kick. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of money. And just like LeBron James, this guy's not really expected to win any playoff games either. Uh, but I think he they won a number of playoff games. I, know, I don't but, think they got swept in the first round. I know, but they're like <laughs> I, they're like so average now. They're it's not a real threat. Uh, LeBron James is gonna win another championship. I don't think. Sorry, all you Lakers fans out there. That's a big contract though for a creator, yeah. Yeah, not to get into basketball, but I'm not sure you can count LeBron James out. Yeah, it's a huge contract, and his kick is just for some context for the Peak Pals. Kick is kind of interesting. It's a competitor to Twitch, which you might be more familiar with. But Kick, the whole shtick is that you can do anything on it. You can say anything, you can watch anything. And so that's why people are going to this platform. And I think it's also financed, this is maybe conspiratorial, but I think it's also financed by like a rogue crypto gambling site. And so that's why he's making all this money. I don't know though, that's unconfirmed. I, I haven't done enough research to say that with authority though. So don't take my word for it. <laughs> You're about to get sued by Kick. Anyway, aside from the shtick of Kick, I guess is what you said, what do we have for Peak Pals today? Well, Jay, we've got a great episode for you for our first story, publishers want big tech to pay up. For our second story, Ozempic ads are here, there, and everywhere. And for our last story, are moviegoers tired of Pixar and superheroes? For our first story, big tech is learning the hard way that the internet isn't one big free-for-all. But how are they learning this? So several tech companies, including OpenAI and Google, want to gain access to content from the world's biggest news outlets to help train the language models behind their popular chatbots, ChatGPT and BARD. This is part of the Financial Times. Now, two payment models currently being discussed with outlets like the New York Times and The Guardian feature either royalty-based fees or annual subscriptions. Now, to catch you all up, while the negotiations are still in the early stages, big media is looking to avoid mistakes made in the early internet era when Google and Facebook reaped the rewards of free online news content to sell ads. This time around, they're determined to get paid. The threat to intellectual property facing media is already playing out in the form of legal action from artists, photo agencies, and coders alleging copyright infringement. And it matters because with access to credible, up-to-date news sources, AI chatbots will become accurate and, in turn, more useful. That said, an information ecosystem that preserves the financial incentive to create the news is needed to keep the content cycle flowing. Yeah, but in a hypothetical world where anyone with internet access could quickly search for news updates from the New York Times or The Guardian through ChatGPT or Bard for free, it leaves no incentive to visit that outlet's website, let alone pay for a subscription. And this is the bottom line. Even if big tech decides to cut a big check, publishers will be wary of accepting a deal that could undercut their current business model. A solution to this is likely a long ways away. For our second story, you've probably heard of Ozempic, the diabetes drug that has become a fave of celebs and border-hopping Americans for its weight loss capabilities because, well, the ads are literally everywhere. And I think pharma advertising is so weird and quirky, Jay. How are pharma brands getting in front of consumers? Good question. From sports to social media, advertisements for pharma giant Novo Nordisk's smash hit, they're inescapable, Brett, which has left some medical professionals worried about a wave of over-prescriptions leading to shortages and an uptick in nasty side effects. 
One Block TO headline read, Toronto has basically just turned into a giant ad for Ozempic, with ads taking up entire public transit vehicles and Blue Jays games. And this matters because the saturation of Ozempic ads feels different, really, than other drug campaigns we've seen before in Canada. It feels very, very, let's say it, Brett. It feels American. American. Yeah, you would know, Jay. If you've ever watched U.S. TV, you'll know it's riddled with drug ads, as the U.S. is one of the only two countries that allow direct-to-consumer prescription drug advertising. In Canada, drug ads are limited to reminder ads that can only mention the name, price, and quantity of a drug with an invitation to ask your doctor if it's right for you, or here's another one, quote-unquote, help-seeking messages, which discuss a disease without mentioning a specific drug. These ads are always so weird and vague. But here's the thing. Health Canada has reviewed 30 complaints against Ozempic ads, concluding that they are compliant with the current advertising provisions. As they don't say what the drug is for, they mostly just feature happy-looking suburban people asking, what's Ozempic? I'll say happy, relatively skinny. Suburban yeah. people asking that. <laughs> that said, with no laws have been broken, bioethicist Kerry Bowman told the CP, Novo Nordisk isn't following the spirit of the law, knowing that by pummeling people with ads, they will look up Ozempic and see influencers hailing it as a wonder drug. Now to zoom out, this year, Health Canada added new guidelines to better define illegal drug advertising. But the regulation still faces criticism for lacking teeth and letting offenders off the hook. Ozempic's unprecedented commercial blitzkrieg could amplify critiques. For our third story, twin box office flops this past weekend involving pillars of modern moviegoing, Pixar and superheroes paint a concerning picture for studio execs trying to get butts in theater seats. Here's what happened in Peak Pals. Pixar's Elemental had the worst opening weekend ever in Canada and the U.S. for the fabled animator earning just $29.5 million on a $200 million budget. But DC's latest, The Flash, also disappointed, falling $15 million short of the studio's expectations. One explanation could be that families who would have seen these films already spent their movie-going budgets on big hits like Super Mario Brothers. Another is that these brands have deteriorated their value in a string of, let's say, questionable moves. Disney withheld theatrical releases for recent Pixar films Luca and Turning Red to help prop up Disney+, Plus, a move that may have devalued the Pixar brand. Similarly, Warner Brothers may have damaged DC last year when it canned the Batgirl movie. But there's another simpler explanation, Brett. Neither film excited the movie-going public. That's a pretty simple explanation. Theater attendance has rebounded this year after a pandemic-induced crisis, but with the Pandora's box that is streaming open forever, the bar to get people off the couch is just much, much higher. So what do audiences want? Well, looking at the biggest hits of the year, audiences want characters they already know and love, something Hollywood executives call intellectual property. Of course, you would need to replenish the well by creating new franchises, but Pixar's recent attempt signals how hard it's getting to actually break through. The only film in the top 15 of this year's North American box office that's not a sequel or based on existing IP is a surprise horror comedy hit, Megan. And if you don't swing for original stories, you can't make new franchises, and we swung really hard. That's what Tony Chambers, a Disney executive, told the New York Times. But running with familiar franchises isn't enough all on its own. The Flash suffered troubles, like an alleged crime spree by its lead Ezra Miller, that likely hurt its box office as well. But three recent major superhero flicks also underperformed, suggesting wider superhero fatigue. Recent Super Smash, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse succeeded in part because it's different, lauded for its unique animation style and clever storytelling. And that movie did get four of Rosenthal into a theater this past weekend. Here's the bottom line. The tides have changed in Hollywood. As a streaming revenue stay rocky, even industry upstarts agree that good old-fashioned theatrical distribution is a key moneymaker. The trouble is putting out products that audiences won't just wait to see at home. 
Big Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. You got a second one at follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett, and have a great day, Peak Pals. When you give me shot, when-